Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. We're in a series of messages entitled Frame. It's the idea that you and I can study the very truths and doctrines that are grounded in the Word of God in those first few books of Genesis. And there you and I frame such truths, such doctrines, in such a way for the world to see. You see, God's Word, His truth, the doctrines of our faith, and they're worth displaying for all the world to see. And I don't know if you could catch it from the psalm, but the truth we are framing up today is this. You ready, church? That you and I were made to work. That you and I were designed and created by God to work. Now, as we frame this up, we've got to recognize something. That since the fall of man, we have really struggled with the approach to. We've struggled with how we think about. We've struggled with the right attitude towards work, hadn't we, as humanity? Some celebrate work. Some see it as a curse by God. Others make work out to be an idol, an altar at which they worship and sacrifice everything. And we've really struggled on what we do with work. And so today, here's what we're going to do together in Scripture. We are going to frame up work as an act of worship to our Creator, God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and as we go there, here's the first thing I want us to note from this text. You ready? That work is worthy. Work is worthy. Catch what Scripture says here. That the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, And to keep it now, I want to mention this as we go on, that many people assume that work is a product of the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, that work is a, a curse, an inevitable, and unavoidable, and unfortunate means to survival. But, but I, I'm going to win you over on this tonight. Maybe just maybe there's a little bit more to work than that. Maybe, just maybe, really we were created to work by God. Now, we look at a verse like Genesis 2.15, and we must note this, that this verse, this event, takes place before the fall of man in Genesis 3, before sin entered the picture and ruined everything. And so here's what we catch, you ready? In a perfect world, man still works. In a perfect world, we We work. That's what we find here in Scripture. Now, here's what we also understand about this whole conversation of work. That work may not be a product of the fall of man, but sometimes our attitudes, sometimes our attitudes towards work can be a product of the fall of man. Here's what's happened. You ready? Sin has marred the way we look at our work. Instead of work being something we were created to do, we see it as a curse that we're, we're made to do. Maybe just, maybe there's more to work than that. Maybe just maybe tonight. 
You ever had a job you hated or a boss you hated? Man, I would ask to raise hands, but then it would get weird. Um, and I've had those jobs. I remember late in my teenage years, I had a job that I did not like. And a boss that I liked even less, okay? I just couldn't stand. But a group of us had went and took this job. And, and man, we, we, we kind of got along together. It was great because we didn't have to deal with him all the time. And I'll never forget, it was um, early January. I get a call from a girl. She's a friend of mine. We're working there together. And she's weeping on the other side of the phone. I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, she, he, he, or he, he laid all of us off. I said, what? He is late all of us off, and, and her, like me, we, we needed a job. I mean, we couldn't go a couple months with, with no income, and nothing had been said to us. We had been prepared for it. And so, man, you know what I did as a, a man, 18, 19 years old? Man, I drove to that store. I talked to that boss. I said, man, listen, you're a poor leader. How could you do that to teenagers who rely on a paycheck? Man, this is poor leadership and poor timing. And, and you know what I did? I, I let him have it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what he did? He was so gracious. Um, he fired me. He fired me. I'll never forget. You're firing me for calling you out for, for bad leadership? And, and he had fired me. And here's the deal. You ready? I won't name the store by name, but where we were working was a Bible bookstore. I am a pastor, and I got fired from a Bible bookstore. Do you know how insecure that makes me feel up here right now? Now, I know what it is to have a job you don't love, a boss that you may love even less. But surely work is more than just drawing a paycheck. Is there more to it? Now, to be fair, work got a little bit harder, didn't it? Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. After Adam and Eve had sinned and rebelled against God, listen to how God sums up work in the future for all of us. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain and toil shall eat of it all the days of your life. He's speaking to Adam. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat plants of the field. God, this is where salad comes from, just so you know. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat. Brett, you know what sin does here to work? Is what sin does everywhere and with everything it touches. Sin does everything it can to ruin work for you and for me. Sin attempts to ruin Work, But where sin tried to ruin work, God works to redeem it. Now, ever since the fall, there's been a tug of war with work, hadn't there? On one hand, work can be fulfilling. And on the other hand, work can be frustrating. It can have a ton of frustrations with it. But where is it that work then garners its worthiness? Where is it that work finds its worthiness? You ready? It finds it here. Because you and I were, were image bearers of God. And you ready? We work because God works. Consider Genesis 2 2. On the seventh day, the Bible says God finished his work. So for six days, God has been working, creating everything we know and see. But on the seventh day, he had finished. 
his work. We get the picture of God, of God being a, a God who works. In every page, every corner, every chapter, every line, every book in the Bible, do you know we see of God that God is actively what? At work for his glory and for our good. Consider what Jesus would say to the Pharisees in the Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 17. My Father is always at work to this very day, Jesus said. And by the way, I too am working. And so my question is this. If work is a worthy pursuit for God the Father, if work is a worthy pursuit for God the Son, if God the Holy Spirit's even at work right now while I'm preaching, and it's a worthy pursuit, maybe, just maybe, there's more to life than drawing breath and drawing a paycheck. Maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit more to our work than we give credit to. Now, I want to be mindful of something. I want to address this. I know that disability happens. And I know that unemployment happens. And I know that that may be a very much a reality in your story. Now, God is very aware of your struggles, and he never abandoned us there, and neither does this message. Tonight's message is targeted at celebrating the relationship between man, better yet, between a believer and work. Well, what kind of work? You ready? Work that happens nine to five. Work that happens outside of those hours. Work that is compensated. Work that is not compensated. And we're celebrating work today. Now here's what scripture teaches us. You ready? Not only that work is worthy, but I want you to watch this in Colossians, that work is an act of worship. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes the Colossian people, and he says this, whatever you do, Work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And he says this, you are serving Christ. You know what's amazing about Colossians 3? Is it reminds us of what God frames up in Genesis chapter 2. And that is this, when it comes to our work, God is redeeming what sin has tried to ruin it's reminding us that when we do work, we are serving the Lord, not just men. And look at what Paul says, in whatever you do. Hey, can I just remind you that he's not directing that it's just at pastors and missionaries, but at every believer. Guys, in the church, we have got to do away with this myth and lie that the only people called to ministry are pastors and missionaries. There have been few lies that have done as much damage to the kingdom of God as that one. If you name the name of Christ, if you've been saved by him, by the way, you're called to ministry. You are called in whatever you do to work as unto the Lord. I love what Tim Keller said. He wrote this. He said, and so our work can be a calling only if it remains a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a mean of self-fulfillment and self-realization, watch this, slowly crushes a person. If your work is only all ever about you, let me tell you something about what your work's doing to you. 
It is crushing you. Believe her. It's killing you. If we don't see it as a calling of God, it absolutely cripples. Uh, so maybe there's more to work. God, you ready? God puts believers on the front lines of the workplace and on job sites and in schools. He puts believers on the front lines of his mission to save the world. And one of the ways he does that is through, through work. I was in Panama City a few years ago. I, I was part of my, just a small advanced team heading down there before all our students would get there. And we were charged just getting everything prepped, all the groceries bought, for all the cooking, all that good stuff. And we had realized, as we do always in student ministry, that we left something or someone. By the way, <laughs> every student pastor has left that kid, right? And it's never the fun kid that their parents would have laughed it off and, you know, made fun of it. It's always the parents who will hate you forever. But anyway, thank God it wasn't a kid this time. We were missing a cable. But it was important cable. It's the only way that computer can show words on a screen for all of our worship sessions uh, that week. So we needed that cable. And, and I know we were without it, and I knew I had to do something. And that was to venture into the darkest, scariest place in all of Panama City Beach. You know where that's at? Walmart. Walmart. Listen, even as a youth pastor, I've, I've almost been in fights there a hundred times. Like, entre it's just scary there. And here's the deal. I drove to Walmart. I sat out in the parking lot. And you know what I just didn't? I didn't want to go in. You know why? Have you ever been into a store and somebody who works there is mad because you're there. <laughs> like, where you going up and asking them question, it, it puts them out, right? They're, they're just, they're mad at you. And I just, I didn't want that to happen. And so I'm sitting in the, in, in the truck, and I'm just like, God, please just help me to be brave and just go in there. And could you, could you send me an angel? And anyway, so we had this conversation. went to Walmart. I went all the way back to the electronics section. I don't know why that always just seems like the worst section to ask for any kind of help. And I get back there, and there's this young lady behind the desk, and I said, Ma'am, uh, could you help me? You know, what's going to happen after that? She said, Sure, what can I help you with? And, and, and I warned her, This isn't going to be just answering a question. I have no idea what I'm looking for. I'm going to need some time. And she's like, Hey, whatever it takes. For the next 15 minutes, we sorted through cables. I tried to roughly tell her what the other cable looked like. And ultimately, she had gotten to the end. And, and 15 minutes later, I'm standing at her cash register, and she's fixing to check me out. And she was gracious and kind and so helpful. And as she started ringing me up, I, I looked at her, and I went, Hey, can I ask you a question just real quick? Sure. Are you a believer? She said, I am. I said, tell me your story. She said, well, I've been down here for a couple months now. I'm with Campus Crusade for Christ. And we kind of spend a summer loving our communities. And part of what we do is we get secular jobs in order to serve the Lord, to make much of Jesus, and to engage lost people with the gospel. And you know what? I think of her and I go, she gets it. She gets it. Maybe... Our jobs and our work is maybe just a little bit more than a paycheck. So much so that she would work at the Panama City Walmart to point people 
to Jesus. You know what she did for a pastor that day? She really encouraged me. She really challenged me. I got in the truck and said, Lord, sorry for my attitude. And thank you for sending an angel. One of your believers to help me out today. I'll never forget her story. And, and you know, in light of Colossians chapter 3, in light of seeing Colossians chapter 3 come alive in a, in a girl at a Panama City Walmart, there's some things that believers ought to do when it comes to work. And, and number one, you ready? Hey, believers ought to work hard. Hear me. We ought to be the hardest workers there are. Not given to laziness. Consider what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard, or a person who's lazy, craves and gets nothing. They're always wanting something, but nothing ever comes. While the soul of the, the diligent, the hard worker, is richly supplied. Hey, can I teach you a principle that never fails? God blesses hard work. He does. God blesses hard work. I love this proverb, Proverbs 26, 13. And this one cracks me up. The sluggard or the lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. You know what? You know what that proverb's teaching us? That always in the mouth of lazy people are excuses not to work. Always in the mouths of lazy people are reasons why you can't work. Hey, there's a line out there. I'll die if I go to work. They saw Bigfoot in Gatlinburg. He's coming after me and my babies. Always in the mouth of a lazy man or woman are excuses not to work hard. And remember this, that when it comes to the believer, that it's at the believer that excuses stop and hard work commences. Why? Because it's an act of worship unto the Lord. And Colossians 3 reminds us that it's how we serve Christ through the avenue of work. Here's the second thing a believer ought to do. Not only work hard, but work right. Work right. Do your job right. Be a man or a woman of your word. Don't cheat. Cut corners. Don't just work hard when somebody's watching. We are commanded in Colossians 3, 2, not to work for, as the Scripture says, eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Remember this, whether someone's watching you or not, you work hard and you work right because God sees your work. And really, it is Him who you are working for. Not the man looking over your shoulder. We have got to work hard, and we must work right. And I want to make this third observation. There's many, but here's the third and the final. Your workplace believer ought to be better because you're a believer and you're there. Your workplace ought to be better. Hey, can I ask you a question? Is your workplace, is your job site better because you're there? Hey, does your workplace or job site, does it have a missionary planted, dedicated to making much of Jesus because you're there? 
and you're that missionary. Now listen, I'm not talking about hopping up on the tables in the break room and preaching the gospel every day at lunch. But here's what I mean. You work hard, and you work right, and you love what God loves most, and that's people, and you build relationships with them, and in the normal course of working together and doing life together, gospel conversations happen. And you talk with them and you share with them the good news. And you invite them to follow Jesus with you. Are you building a better workplace because you are there? Uh, Dave Ramsey, he's this financial guy. Anybody ever heard of him, Dave Ramsey? Once you live in a box under a bridge. I love that guy. Um, he has a zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy at his work for gossip, complaining, and negativity. I'm going to tell you something. That dude has revolutionized my, my wife and our life. I look at it, the way he does his business. This is pretty good. You ready? Listen to what he writes. Gossip is defined as discussing anything negative with someone who can't help solve the problem. And he says, gossip is unfair to everyone involved. It's unfair to the gossipers because they must toil in a problem situation with no hope of resolution. It's unfair to others who hear the gossip because it undermines their passion for their work, confidence in their leadership, and belief in the vision. And he says this, it's unfair to you, leader, because you aren't given the opportunity to address a problem within your business. Hey, you ready to hear me, church? Negative stuff's going to happen. It's inevitable. It may be a person or a process, but negative things happen. Hey, either way, with a person or a process, those issues need to be taken a leader who can affect change. A believer ought not be given to complaining and gossiping and negativity. I love their motto at Dave Ramsey. As negatives go up, positives go down. That is true every time. And hear me, church, you ready? Our language is gospel, not gossip. One of the better ways that you and I can better our workplace is not to be a source of gossip, complaining, and negative. Listen, don't take abuse. Don't turn a blind eye. You just get it before a leader who can take action and who can make things happen. You know, I'm convinced, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek, but there's some truth here. I'm convinced that if we prayed for our bosses and our coworkers as much as we complained and gossiped about them, then there wouldn't be a single lost person in a business in Sevier County. I'm partly joking. Man, I tell you what, the difference that is made when a believer prays for his boss, even the ones they don't like, and for that a co- coworker who's annoying beyond all reason, rather than complain and gossip. And spread negativity. You ready? Our work and our presence in the workplace as believers should better our business, bless our team, and should build others up. Now, in all this conversation of work and what it ought to be, I got to warn you about something. I got to throw out a warning about work. And that while work is an act of worship, Unto God, serving Christ. Work must never be an altar 
that we sacrifice everything to. Hear me. Work must never become an idol that becomes the God in our lives that we sacrifice everything else to. You ready? The gift of work cannot become God in our lives. We must not, and our work must not become an altar where we sacrifice our character, our integrity, our family, our, our children, our church, our time with the Lord, our mission that Christ has called us to. Work is not everything, and we are not called to sacrifice everything for work. Hear me. Your identity is not found in your work, believer. Your identity is found in Christ. And that's why we work so hard. When work is no longer a gift, it becomes a God in our lives. And hear me, when work is a God in our life, that God destroys everything. That God will destroy your family, your marriage, your kids. It'll destroy your soul. Remember what Mark chapter 8, Jesus said? Hey, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very soul? You see, Colossians chapter 3 is a reminder that our work is an avenue of worship in serving Christ. That is why God gifted you with the talents, the abilities that you have from the factory worker to the Fortune 500 CEO. From the stay-at-home mom to the mom who happens to also work outside of the home. From teachers to healthcare workers. From teenagers working part-time to mom and dad working full-time. Your work is more than a paycheck. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And you ready? It is time church that we recognize that God sends every believer into the marketplace, into the workplace, onto the job site to work for his glory and our good. Jesus said in John 20, 21, just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You are missing it, church. Hear me. You are missing it. If you think passages like that are only speaking of pastors and missionaries. He's speaking to everyone who will, by faith, become a believer. In fact, Charles Spurgeon would say this one time. He's a famous preacher of a later generation. He would say this. Every Christian is either a missionary or they are an imposter. Isn't that good? Because hear me, the truth is, is that you are a missionary, or you are an imposter. So if you're mad at that, just blame Charles Spurgeon. He's dead. He doesn't care. Here we go. You ready? When we take hold of the value and the worthiness of work, then our work stops merely being means to survival, and it becomes a platform from which we serve our king. We must change our hearts, our minds, our attitudes towards work. Some of you, like me, you absolutely love your job. And you know what? I really love my boss. Maybe some of you find more frustration than fulfillment in your job. But whether you really love your job, you really hate your job, love your boss, or you hate him, all of us know 
the tug of war between fulfillment and frustration when it comes to work. We all know the tug of war. So here's my challenge to you. No matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, you're at number one. Exchange being mad or miserable at work for being a missionary at work. And make your work your ministry. Make your work your ministry. And number two, instead of work being misery to you, make it your mission field that serves to point people to Jesus. You go, wait, wait, Pastor Andy, listen. I don't work with any believers. I don't work at a Christian business. Nobody loves God where I work. What advice would you give me? Here's what I would say to that. Good. I mean, great. I'm jealous of you. I mean, I know what it is to work those jobs as well. I want to remind you what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you what that doesn't say. To take your light and to hide it under the basket of a church building. Where are you to shine it? Man, how before the entire world to see? The entire world to see. Hey, let me ask you a question. Where do they put lighthouses? In the middle of Times Square? Where everything's like, no, listen, you don't find a lighthouse in the middle of Times Square. You find it on the darkest, most dangerous corners of our coast. Where it shines the brightest to warn people, to warn mariners of danger. I love what Keith Faulkner, a missionary, once said. I've, I've quoted this a couple of times, but he says, I have but one candle of this life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. You know, Peter would write in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans. So there, it doesn't say live such good lives in a church building. Live such good lives among churchy people. Live such good lives among people who do not love or know God, that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and through your work glorify the God. That's you and I, sir. And if you have worked at my job, my trade for 20 years, never been a missionary, seen my job as a mission builder, my ministry, what do I do? You ready? You wake up tomorrow morning and you go to work as a missionary. You go to work to a mission field. You make your work, your ministry. Well, Anthony, listen, this message doesn't apply to me because I'm retired. I mean, I've read the whole book, and nowhere in the Bible does it speak of such a thing as a retired Christian who's allowed to simply stop working to point people to Jesus. Hey, there's no such thing as a retired Christian. You know, I begin to think of what Paul reminded us of Ephesians 2.10 and how special this passage is. He reminds the, the, the Ephesian church that we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. And listen, I want, you, I want to get and say, man, you're crazy, and you're missing it. If you think passages like that are only speaking to pastors and missionaries. He's talking of you. The works he's prepared beforehand. Works that I promise you are not done alone in a church building. In fact, most of them are not. You read the book of Acts. There's 40 miracles recorded. you know how many happen inside a church? One. All other 39 miracles happen out in the marketplace and the workplace. You see, most of these works that Paul talks of in Ephesians chapter 2 happen on the front lines. In our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our schools, in our workplaces. That's where the good works, the majority of them take place. And so this, to this evening, we have framed up work with this idea that you and I, were, we were made to work, that work is worthy, that work is an act of worship unto God as we serve Christ. And then the question may come really, does God really care about my work, and why would I ever use my work to point people to Jesus? You ready? I love what David Platt says. Every saved believer this side of heaven owes it to every unsaved person this side of hell. We owe them the gospel. That every believer on this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. And work is an incredible avenue by which we point people to Jesus. I want to close with this story. Our staff's been reading a book called Gaining by Losing. Really good book. We've been studying it together. And uh, in one of the chapters, there was a story of a young lady by the name of Clara, an event that took place just a few years ago. And Clara was an average, just early 20s, young lady with a beautiful smile and the world before her. She wasn't married. She had no kids. I mean, she was just living life. And here's the thing about Clara is she really loved Jesus with everything she had. And so in a sister church of ours in North Carolina, Clara had heard about her church, that they had planted a church in a part of Asia that was, was difficult. They persecuted the gospel there. Believers were persecuted, and it was an Islamic stronghold. And yet right in the middle of that community, an underground church was planted. And you know what she thought to herself? i got to work anyway. I I'm going to work anyway. And so you know what Claire does? She flies over to Asia. And she meets up with that church plant. And here's what she does the first thing. She gets a job. Not working in the church plant. She gets a job out in the community where she works with many Islamic women. She works with them in the shop and in the trade. Well, one morning... Clara got up early, and she was on her way to work. And a group of armed Islamic fundamentalists kidnapped her. They abducted her. And her church team there in that community had gotten wind of what had taken place, and they began every measure they knew how to begin to negotiate for her life. They had no idea where she was, but they began the negotiations. In fact, the United States State Department got involved. The United States military had launched multiple raids 
to rescue Clara. On one raid, she was moved to the house next door before the United States military came in, and they never found her. On another, it was later found out that she was hidden in a basement underneath the floor that no one knew about, and she could hear her rescuers on the floor above her, but she was kept silent. And here's the tragic truth. You ready? Clara has never been rescued. Nobody knows what happened. At last word, she was smuggled into the mountains of Afghanistan. With this communique back to the team, we found Christian material on her laptop. She will be executed. And so for the past couple years, no one's heard anything from this young 20-year-old woman, believer, sister in Christ named Clara. She's presumed to have been executed already. And she's with Jesus. Let me tell you an interesting part of her story. That in her Islamic community where she worked, for the first time and the only time in their history, 300 oppressed women who had come in contact with Clara marched to the governor's palace and demanded he do everything he can to find Clara. Let me tell you something about these 300 women. None of them ever stepped foot in her church. None of them had ever gone to her church. Rather, the church had gone to them because Clara worked in and around them. And you know what those women said? That they saw Jesus in her. And that she was kind. And she worked hard. And she was good. It wasn't Clara's work in a church plant in that community that pointed all those women to Jesus and empowered them at the risk of their own safety to march in her support. It was Clara's work in her shop and her kindness there and her willingness to use her work to point people to Jesus. Whether it's a, a college girl and working in a Walmart Panama City or it's Clara who's now at home with the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, there's more to our work than it just being an unfortunate means of survival. Can we pray together? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.